0: Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. So where are you? The flying nun? I'm your brother, Sammy. Help me! Stay back! Stay back! What's happening to me, Star? Get yourself when a good, you sharp stick.
1: Drive it right through his heart. You're a vampire,
0: Michael. My own brother, a damn blood-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till Mom finds
1: out, buddy. When a vampire buys it, it's never a pretty sight.
0: Michael McCormick! Oh, shit! <laughs>
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, your horror movie podcast covering one movie. Oh, for fuck's
0: sake.
2: (laughs) You (laughs) gotta keep this in, man. I like it. This will go at the end of the episode when we just, like, after the music credits roll. (laughs)
3: How many movies are we Sorry, sorry. We're covering
2: 36 movies today. Wow. (laughs) We're just gonna power through them. Hello everyone and welcome to The Pod and The Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that covers every horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Snoonian, joined once again after a one week absence by Jerry. Jerry, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing spectacular.
1: 2020 is a good year so far. I I do think it's funny that it's like, Jerry's back after one week absence, when, like, <laughs> when, like all of us, you know, myself included, thought it would be like extended. Like I had mm-hmm. people message me and be like, oh, man, really love what you brought to the show. I'm really bummed. And it's just mm-hmm. like, nah, dude, I'll be back in a day or two. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. But basically, really briefly before we get into it, uh, I just had a really big family emergency that I had to take care of. I thought that it would take a while to take care of it. But 100% because of the horror community, it was taken care of so fast. So every single person that listens, thank you. Every person who doesn't listen, that uh, helped my situation, thank you. Uh, I mean, there there were people that I grew up watching their movies that helped. Uh, there were people that I had no idea who helped. Uh, so thank you. I'm so happy to be back. I love doing this show with the passion, and I'm, I'm still crying about missing uh, Halloween 2018. But.
2: Let's do it. Well, I think at some point we'll definitely get your thoughts on that movie. I think we're going to have to do that because I know how much you love that movie, at all, but it's really good to have you back. But, exactly. you know, in the meantime, I think what we've decided to do a little bit heading into the year is kind of expand the team of persons that we're going to have on the show overall. Because, you know, one of the things you've wanted to do is have like a growing number of voices and growing number of contributors. Um, and I was really happy with uh, what we did last week covering Halloween uh, 2018. And I think, you know, our returning co-hosts, um, Brian Kuyper and Veronica Maitland, both like really stepped up on short notice and, uh, mm-hmm brought a lot to the show overall, so we're here to great. welcome welcome them back once again. Hey, glad to be here.
3: Hi, hello. How is everybody?
2: I think you are good. I think you okay, are great. Uh, great. great. So <laughs> yeah, we're good. Formalities aside, let's talk movies. Um, <laughs> so we're kicking off a brand new franchise tonight, and we're kicking off that one I'm excited about. Partially because I love this movie, the first one, uh, and partially because there's only three entries in the whole franchise, so <laughs> it becomes like a little bit easier and a little bit less daunting. But we are here to talk about, I would say, the best vampire movie of the 1980s, uh, with Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys.
1: You know, I, I I would even go as far as saying one of the best vampire movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I think The Lost Boys is is a film that. When it came out, it was so huge for so many of us. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a film that when I first uh, saw it, you know, it, it just changed things for me. You know, it, it, before that, vampires were very, you know, not bland. I mean, I love Bella Lugosi's Dracula. I loved Christopher Lee's Dracula. But, I mean, if you really think about it, they're kind of the same kind of character. But The Lost mm-hmm. Boys, I mean, they, it was like a rock and roll punk rock vampire right. and it's something that i feel like so many movies have chased since so i mean i am so excited for this one
2: i think you can draw a straight line from the lost boys to buffy the vampire slayer to even stuff like twilight mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. better or for yeah, worse definitely. overall but i think this this and we'll talk a lot more about this as the show goes on but i think the way that the this movie looks at vampirism overall um really shaped the way that that sort of mythical creature was going to be explored for the next 20 to 30 years, really continuing to this day, I think in series like the vampire diaries and such overall, or like a book series that I read. Oh uh, God, probably a decade ago now, about the Morganville vampires where they were like mm-hmm. much younger and whatnot. So really, really going to enjoy talking about this one tonight. So, I think for me, I know, like, growing up, this movie was all over MTV, and we're going to talk a lot more about the music and how that influenced the movie overall. Um, but what's really, you know, kind of interesting when I was doing some research for this, I didn't realize that this movie was originally envisioned as, like, the Goonies with vampires. Yeah,
1: it yeah. was
3: like
2: the play on Peter Pan, right? hmm
3: Yeah, originally, didn't they have Richard Donner lined up to direct?
2: Yep, Richard Donner was like after the success of the Goonies, he they had brought him another project, um, thinking like let's do vampires, like or Peter Pan, but as a vampire overall, he said in the behind the scenes like featurette on the lost boys blu-ray that like it just took too long for the movie to get going mm. and he had made it so many times in his head that by the time it was to the point where okay we're ready to shoot he had kind of lost interest in it uh and in part he lost that interest because he was handed the script for Lethal Weapon right. and decided so as much as i love the lost boys can't really fault him there
1: yeah, I mean Lethal Weapons like quintessential action film, yeah. you know? Like sure.
2: mm-hmm. so he had, you know, come on board, but he still wanted to see this movie um get made. But the original script is by uh, Janice Fisher and James Jeremiah. Uh, I don't think they have a lot of credits aside from The Lost Boys, um, but they really lean into like Peter Pan as a vampire. Uh, and it's kind of easy to see where that comes from when you think of that character. Like Peter Pan can fly, he only comes out at night uh, and he breaks into the bedrooms of children to basically steal them away from their families, and they forever stay children whenever they're in, when they're in never, neverland. So it's kind of see how those two, like vampirism and Peter Pan kind of parallel one another.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think they keep some of that in the final product, too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, Obviously, it's teenagers now instead of children, but um, there's a lot of those elements still remain, including the title, of course. Mm-hmm. The Lost Boys being a direct reference to Peter Pan, mm-hmm.
3: and also there's the you know myth of Peter Pan. I don't know if you're familiar with. People have said that the Lost Boys are just dead anyway right so mm-hmm. th- it's a it's really cool if you don't i would look it up but yeah they say that it's just um they're they're dead they're perpetually young they're all children who have died and they're just kind of trying to woo wendy away from from living her life and hmm. it's yeah it's 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 dark um, i've never heard that interpretation <laughs> Yeah, and it's super before. dark mm-hmm. <laughs> so i think that if you look at them as the undead maybe you mm-hmm. also get this sort of um you know if you want to go that terrifying awful route then mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a bunch of dead kids running around so <laughs> yeah.
1: well i think that i think that the whole basis uh with the kind of lost boys peter pan vibes and the in, the initial script that you know donner had going it's a fun like starting point but i feel like <laughs> from a production standpoint, even from a story standpoint, when Joel Schumacher came aboard, I mean, the film became exactly what we we all saw. You know, he brought Jeffrey Boehm, which is such a great screenwriter in general. I mean, he did so many great movies. And they kind of revamped it in such a fun way. I mean, we didn't have these, like, fifth grade kids that are scouts, basically, chasing vampires. I mean, we got the Frog Brothers, which is that's my one of my favorite things about the movie, The Frog Brothers. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like mini Rambo. and Exactly. And yeah. what's so interesting about the film is even as a kid, I read it completely wrong. I read it to where all these people, all these kids got together and they were going to kick vampires' ass. That's not true. All these kids have seen way too many Rambo movies and they get in way over their head. Like they they think they know what they're doing, but they're awful at what they're doing. Right. And As a kid, <laughs> yeah. As a kid, like I appreciated that so much. You know, like it it spoke to me on like a real, real profound level. You know, mm-hmm. because in in we're faced with so many things that we think we know what we're doing, but we just don't. And the Lost Boys was a film that took that, put it into a horror film. And it was just a wild ride the whole time, and it's 100% because of Joel Schumacher. He's one of right. my favorite directors, and I feel like he brought so much to this.
2: Yeah, Schumacher is interesting because I think when most people think of Joel Schumacher, they obviously think of like Batman. <clears throat> I think it's Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And Batman yeah. Forever sure. is a perfectly serviceable um sequel to oh. batman and batman returns it's a fun movie overall uh, it's very bright it's very glittery i think val kilmer was an underrated
4: batman um oh, i remember that, when that one came out you know everyone was talking about how great it was because you know it wasn't so heavy and dreary like the uh like the tim burton movies were but you know i mean over time that opinion seems to have changed but at the time people loved batman forever did they Mm-hmm. Oh, in, in my age group, I should say at least, yeah. Yeah, it was a no, huge. Yeah, I, I wow. like, Yeah, it was, it was massive.
2: What is the contrarian opinion here? What are we? I mean, Veronica, you seem to think people did not love Batman Forever.
3: Yeah, I just um, the Schumacher Batmans are just. I, I feel like when he made the Lost Boys, it was before he started to make bad movies. So I think that um, when you look at his. Batman movies. They're just. uh,
1: No, no, I I agree with you. I mean,
3: I don't know how to say it other than just the heavy sigh of what the Mm -hmm. Schumacher Batman brought to the table. (laughs) They're neither the same. The Batman and Robin and um, Batman Forever, they're just the same in my head. So I can't piece Mm -hmm. them apart. Um, So maybe that's maybe I'm just maybe I'm being unfair to Batman Forever. Maybe tonight I'll rewatch it and I'll say, hey, guys, this was. It's a lot of fun, but I, I can't see that I'm gonna
2: do that. I would say that it's a it's a it's a short road. Like I would say that Batman Forever kind of bridges the gap, the camp, the the gap between Batman Returns, which gets a little bit more ludicrous than Batman was, and Batman and Robin, where it's not quite full camp. Not quite yet. And by the time you get to Batman and Robin, um, it becomes ridiculous. Like they have the Batman credit card, Batman and Robin on skates, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger being doing whatever he's doing as Mr. Freeze. Uh, You have the character of Bane that in the comic books um, Uh. was very serious, very intelligent and ruthless, like really the only villain that Batman had ever gone up against that could match batman's like not only his strength but his brains Mm. and then in the batman and robin he's just this kind of like steroid addled um henchman with like who you know can't you know articulate a word of english overall well i've I've always compared
1: joel schumacher uh nowadays to kind of brian de palma and i'm not saying Mm. as far as like talent or ability but as far as like, I'll watch a Brian De Palma like movie now, like a you know his last recent few films, and I'm just like, man, you know mm-hmm. what happened, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But then if you think about Joel Schumacher around the time of Lost Boys, I mean yeah. we had St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost sure. Boys, Flatliners, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it almost feels like it's a different director. Maybe he got so into like the extravagance of films. You know, you get films like Phantom of the Opera. Uh, mm-hmm. Batman Returns, Batman and Robin. It has to be a huge spectacle. Lost yeah. Boys, Lost Boys feels big, mm-hmm. but it's not a spectacle. It's actually a very intimate kind of film. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's. I
4: think yeah. he came back to it too with with a movie like Phone Booth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which, yeah. Was, which was a cool little thriller, and um, yeah, I really dug that one. I Haven't seen that in a long time, but yeah.
2: So. Schumacher is tapped to – I mean this is a long way of getting to the point of saying that like Schumacher is tapped to um, direct The Lost Boys. I believe it was Richard Donner's wife who was a phenomenal producer in her own right and now I'm embarrassed because I don't remember the name off the top of my head and that's bad of me. But Schumacher is brought on board. He reads the script and he's like, this is little kid shit. Right here. Like, he's really, like, in the original script, the Frog Brothers are, like, chubby fifth-grade children. They're, like, they're kind of little cherubic kids overall. They were
4: basically me at fifth grade. Basically, yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) The character of Star isn't envisioned as a love interest, but she's actually a little boy that befriends the um, Frog Brothers overall. Um, and it's like, this is going to be like a family-friendly movie like Goonies. It's going to be like a PG movie. And Schumacher's like, eh, that's not really my thing. Like he would said, like Jeffrey Bohm comes on board. He had done like The Dead Zone. He had done rewrites on Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Um So he takes a pass at the script, he ages up the cast, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh, and he makes it like an actual horror movie for, like, teenagers and young adults to kind of get into at that point. He adds a lot of rock and roll to it, very, very tapped in. Like, to me, this movie is really tapped into what it was like to grow up. In the 1980s, as like a, you know, preteen or teenage boy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's pretty much like you could have just lifted pages of like my diary if I wanted to say, like, (laughs) this is what I wish my life was like.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and also, like, I think that's one of the things that makes the film so timeless is that anyone that grew up like that identifies with it. You know, I'm pushing 40, and I still, every time I see it, see myself in, in almost every character who's not a vampire, you know, mm-hmm. like I was Sam, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, oh, yeah, right. the Frost Brothers. I, I had hoped that I was Michael and the vampires, mm-hmm. but hell no, I wasn't, I was not that cool, you know, and even <laughs> like, what's so great about the film is even the dialogue is so realistic. Yes. You no, know? like oh, yeah. when Sam, when Sam, uh, discovers that Michael's a vampire, uh, you know, he's so bummed about it, but he's also going to tell his mom. Yeah, right. right. <laughs>
0: Mike, what happened? Nanook. What about Nanook? What'd you do to my dog, you asshole? Nothing. I didn't hurt him. He bit me. This is my blood. Why'd he bite you, Mike? Huh? What would you do to him? He was protecting you. Look at your reflection in the mirror. Your creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. Who oh, you eat tomorrow.
3: A lot of guys my age raved about the Lost Boys. So me, I didn't um I was like, I don't I don't like boys. I was eleven years old, so I'm like, I don't wanna watch mm-hmm. this. And so I didn't. But um I watched it in the nineties, and then my 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 next rewatch was this week and I think rewatching it and hearing that dialogue. And yeah, that's a perfect example. Jerry is when Sam says, um, you know, my, my own brother is a blood sucking vampire. I'm going to tell mom, like it's so, it's so little sibling that I just feel it on a universal level. Rewatching it. It was fucking delightful. You guys, this is a mm-hmm. delightful movie. It's funny. The tone is perfect. They, I, it's it's a it's a wonderful wonderful mm-hmm. ride. Um, I'm it's, sorry I missed it out. I missed out on it in the 80s, but and it's funny too. It's funny, it's
4: really funny. And they the
1: checklist. He's like, okay, does he does he have bad breath? Well, yeah, but he always does. Like,
2: <laughs> and when you look at the cast that this movie pulls together for what's essentially like a, a mid-budget B-movie. You have like Diane West coming off of winning an Oscar for uh, her work with Woody Allen and Hannah and her sisters. Like, this is a movie that she did in between winning Oscars. Um, mm-hmm. Her first being for Hannah and her sisters, the second being for Bullets Over Broadway a few years later. Like, you know, Schumacher is like, ah, you know, I'll approach her, but there's no chance at how we're going to get her. And she's like, sure, let us Let's go ahead. Like, let's do this. Like, she saw something in the movie where it'd be really fun to do. You have, you know, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman who would go on to be the two Coreys. And granted, they would be in a lot of like kind of teen beach schmaltz after this movie, and this is their first pairing together of like mm-hmm. maybe maybe like a half a dozen films and then a reality show that they did together. But <laughs> It's it's easy to forget that prior to this, like Feldman had done his you know iconic horror turn as you know Tommy Jarvis in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, um, he was you know in the Goonies and also was you know. Uh, um, Eddie in Stand By Me, which Mm -hmm. he's incredible in that movie, is this really traumatized, fucked up kid. He is, you know, one of the most compelling parts of like Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. So it's easy to envision, you know, a different universe where like Feldman continues to take roles like that and goes on to become like a, you know, one of the more celebrated actors of his time. But it didn't quite go that way, but. Right,
1: boys. Mm. When I look back at Corey Feldman's early work, uh, pretty much everything before Lost Boys, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I kind of always associated him with like Joaquin Phoenix, like you would right. see, him yeah, very early on in his career, you know, as an up and coming <laughs> act, you know, and I feel like Feldman would have had that same trajectory had he. I mean, I'm not saying not started making movies with Haim because I mean they were fun. But they definitely shifted after that. And it's funny Mm -hmm. because they had such a rivalry before Lost Boys. You know, everyone on that scene was talking about, you know, one of the two Corys. And they kind of had this kind of, like, competition. And then when they were both cast in Lost Boys, that's when they kind of, like, solidified finally being friends and embracing that and went for it. But, yeah, I do think – I mean, not even Feldman. Even Haim. I mean, Lucas – uh, oh, silver Bullet. Yeah, yeah. you know oh, what yeah. I mean. I uh-huh. them had on their own path would have done some really amazing things.
2: No, yeah. and it's you know obviously Corey Haim, you know tragically you know died after suffering from addiction for decades mm-hmm. um, in two thousand and ten, and you know Corey Feldman is his own kind of sad story in a lot of ways, but this is the two of them really at their height. Like I don't think it gets any better. Than the two of them in this movie Like Corey Feldman doing Sylvester Stallone doing Rambo Is kind of incredible Uh, And just like looking back on this now and watching it now and seeing him really channel, you know, Stallone in First Blood and, you know, uh, Rambo First Blood Part Mm 2. It's it's his comic timing is incredible uh, in this movie overall. It's just so much fun to watch.
3: And I don't think anybody but Corey Haim could have pulled off the Sam character Mm -hmm. as well as he did. I mean, he's... His, his comedic timing was pitch perfect. And he has this sweet little boy face, those doe mm. eyes, and that little, like, the ch- cherubic grin. Like, he just... They couldn't have cast it any better. Right. And
1: yeah. plus, I mean, let's let's be completely honest. You know, I, I grew up, and I know Mike did too, in the punk rock hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. With that being said, who didn't have a poster of Rob Lowe, not <laughs>
3: you know i have to say when i that was a little jarring when i first saw that because there's ringwald and my husband says wait for it because he he's familiar with the movie and i'm like what am i waiting for and then in comes that beaver i'm like is it the beaver is it the stuffed beaver is there going to be a joke about a beaver no there wasn't it was just suddenly out of nowhere there's rob Lowe, half his shirt half off his shoulder and you know that's fine that's okay (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, it's probably because, right, like um, uh, Schumacher did St. almost Fire with Rob Lowe. So it's kind of a kickback to that maybe. Mm-hmm. And also Schumacher is openly gay in this movie. I mean, we can get into that later. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's a there's lot there- to talk about.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of callbacks to other movies that persons have have worked on in this overall. Like there's some really good ones in the uh, video store as well as a comic mm-hmm. store, which I think we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, and I think you know, this is also like Young Kiefer Sutherland in this movie is
4: incredible. As he's so uh, yeah, he's so magnetic. You cannot take your eyes off him when he's nobody on nobody
3: smirks like Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. That yeah
2: yeah he has he's the perfect blend of menace and kind of douchey guy that is in on a joke that nobody else is in on. It's the kind of look that he has yeah. on his face the whole time. Um, and it's just one of those things where this he brings a real swagger. To This role that uh, I don't think That people would expect from someone Who at this point only had Really a few television Credits to his name as well as You know his supporting turn Is Ace Merrill in Stand By mm-hmm. Me um, Right aside, Those are the first two things we really know him for You know what's crazy is you know I didn't Realize it at
1: the time because My brother and everyone else around me had them as well But re-watching it How hard Is it that Kiefer Sutherland is so just amazing in this movie and likable, and you want to be him while rocking one of the worst mullets of all time.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think the only one who has a more amazing mullet in this movie is probably Alex Winter. Oh, Oh, Alex Alex Winter's mullet. Oh, man. (laughs) Those beautiful
3: Rapunzel locks.
4: (laughs) Yes, yeah, you know. (laughs) I was a little jealous. I, I used to have hair like uh, like that, uh, not quite that long, but my I used to have a beautiful head of curly hair like Alex Winter, and uh,
3: wow.
4: it's it's going away. It's. <laughs> it's, it's holding I'm sure on. his
3: is too. It's, so. it's, it's holding
4: on by a thread.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, the vampires in this movie are definitely making the case like if you need like a Cinderella cover band to play the local guy. <laughs> like, Cinderella oh yeah you know, like, yep you definitely you definitely have four guys that could easily pull that look off i mean that's oh, like, yeah. but that's what it was like it doesn't like looking back it's a bit comical but it's not out of place for this movie like it's not no, out of place what no, you know it's we so, were watching this movie we were watching this so it was like family movie night um, right before New Year's Eve. And we were, you know, we put this so as a first time watch for my daughter. And we have been watching um, The Toys That Made Us on Netflix. I love that uh, Just such a awesome, fun show to watch. And, you know, she, and she's like, Dad, it seemed like it was so much fun to grow up in the 80s, like compared to now. And, like, it was hard to disagree. Like, it was just like, you know, it was. I, mean, I know we have like all this technology and everything now, and I don't want to get hung up and like you know back in my day. But you know, like you had like arcades and like hitting the beach and like just like hanging out at comic book stores and all this like stuff that I don't see kids like Sam's age doing anymore. And like, yeah, it was fun growing up back then. You know, it was a lot more fun, I would say, than growing up now.
3: I mean, yeah, oh, when I go into a comic book store now or even an arcade, which are now barcades, mm-hmm. it's everyone my age. I mean, everybody's thirty-five, forty, forty-five, and it's like, oh, well, I mean, we're reliving our youth in these
2: mm-hmm.
3: in these niche places. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, to me it's a lot more fun to have like a half dozen kids gathered around like a stand-up arcade. Version of like say like teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles than it is to have like you know six or seven kids playing online and they're like miles apart from one another you know chatting over a headset like there's Mm -hmm. not that immediacy like there's a uh,
1: there's a local arcade here that my wife and I found recently called Retro Arcade it's in like a mall that nobody Mm -hmm. goes to and uh, has all those games that all of us grew up playing Um, I mean everything from Galaga to Ninja Turtles to the X Men games like so many great games and Mm -hmm. we've had like uh where we've decided to basically have all of our kids birthday parties there because it's free yes to come in there so they're like you know you could rent out the whole back for free just bring people in Mm -hmm. so it's cool to like see our kids kind of experience these games in this atmosphere that was so important to you know my upbringing and childhood Mm -mm.
2: Yeah, there's a bar near us. Uh, Well, it's about a 45-minute drive. There's two arcade, like you had said, Veronica, like arcade bars or barcades. Yeah. There's two of those, like, in Providence where you pay, like, a $5 cover, and then there's, like, 100 video games and pinball machines and Mm -hmm. stuff like that where you can go in and just, like – you know, like you can play like Popeye and Miss Pac Man and Galaga and Centipede, and it's just, it's a black and, and uh NBA jam, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Oh like, so much fun to like. So, you hear like, you know, boom shakalaka screamed out, and you're like, <laughs> just it gives and me this, the tinkles. This are,
1: see, I, I feel so uncool right now. These are arcades that are in bars, yep.
3: Yeah, wow. so, and even there are specific um, bar caves like in Portland, Maine, and I'm sure in Portland, Oregon, I just don't go there, but, because I'm curious, <laughs> but like, sorry, Oregon. Um, but in Portland, Maine, or, um, there, you know, um, I can't think of where else there are some right now, but just um, a lot of uh, craft like where craft beer meccas are. They'll have these barcades and, Mm -hmm. you know, you go on in, you get a local beer and you play pinball or you play Galaga or um, Cuber. Like you stand around and you play and it's it's so much fun to get drunk and play Cuber. You do not do well, but it's fun.
2: And that sounds great. Yeah. yeah, I think, Jerry, in your neck of the woods, I think there used to be a couple places called like Nickel Nickel, and you would go in and pay $2, and all the games are like $0.05. Yeah, cents. yeah that, and there was one called Oh Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the name of the place, uh, which is awful
1: to say out loud uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. Like, hey, do you want to go to Oh Wow? But uh, yeah, you would pay a very uh, you know, <laughs> small fee, when you could play as much as you want. I mean, up until I feel extremely uncomfortable doing so, I used to play Michael Jackson's Moonwalker a lot.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, rem- yeah. all this talk yeah. of arcades—it brings me to kind of like—I think one of the more ironic lines of the movie overall. Like when Sam first meets the Frog Brothers, and mm-hmm. he's like, "You know, I used to live in like Phoenix, Arizona, and you know now I moved here, and it sucks." And I'm kind of like. Phoenix, Arizona is where old people go to golf and die. Basically, <laughs> it's what I know about Phoenix. And like you have this like 13 year old kid who there's a giant amusement park and boardwalk. There is this crazy, amazing like video store to go in. And there's like thousands of movies, including like adult films that are like right out of the open. It's like <laughs> adult section. It's like as a 13 year old. You're like, I'm gravitating right there. This is great. Um <laughs> You know, there's this uh, comic book store that has, like, Superman 78, like, right out in the open for people right. to peruse, right? Uh. You know, it's not under lock and key. And you're on the beach, Uh, And there's all these awesome, like, caves on the store. Like, are you kidding me? Like, dude, you've hit the jackpot.
3: (laughs) Gosh, I miss Phoenix. (laughs) I'm sorry, but
1: Arizona might be cool, but nowhere in Arizona are you going to get a
2: greased up saxophone player. Playing on the beach.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And no one's like, kid, get out of here. You know, no one's like, you're too young, get the hell out. You had this massive party every night on the beach with live music. It's like, dude,
4: you've hit the jackpot. This is great. Always hanging out at the carnival. Mm -hmm. Always hanging out at that carnival all the time, every night. Hey, where do you want to go? Hey, let's go ride roller coasters and all this other stuff. Come on.
1: It always reminds me of that that scene in Pinocchio.
4: Yeah.
1: Go to just like be uh, debaucherous and do whatever they want. That's what that boardwalk in
4: Lost Boys reminds Mm me of. Mm. Oh, man. I just had sort of one of those kinder trauma flashbacks. (laughs) When you think about like horror as a kid, I mean, seeing Pinocchio. And seeing, you know, the kids turn into donkeys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Terrifying stuff.
3: Yeah, your first segue into body horror right there. That's a rough thing.
1: That yeah. oh. used to freak me out. But as an adult, that scene in Pinocchio doesn't freak me out because my kids are asses. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of autobiographical. It's Yeah. Like
2: <laughs> So Veronica, you said you and before we started recording, you had some questions for us overall and I kind of wanted to touch on that and see what you would come up with cuz like you had said you didn't grow up with this movie like the three of us had overall. So no. what, you know, so it's interesting to have that different perspective and I would love to hear, you know, what questions or perspective you had for us.
3: So I feel like I might be the only horror fan who's not super familiar with this Movie. And so when this movie came out, you were all kind of coming of age. Mm-hmm. And I guess my, I guess, like, just my initial question was, like, this movie had one girl in it. And that girl was Jamie Gertz. And Jamie Gertz was, like, the girl back then, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, you know, they tried to make her that girl.
3: Okay. Okay. And she's just so... um. I think with her and I think with Diane Weist, I think that they're um, they could have been written a little bit deeper and better, obviously, but this wasn't really about them, so they're just there, they're ornamental. And mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that this movie, I just rewatching it now, I can see where the connection was, but when you were coming of age, the connection that you had to these these boys was like, who did you kind of side with, right? Are you are you like? Are you on Kiefer's side? Are you like are you siding with like the family that's trying to become nuclear with like the head vampire or just like Sam who's just kind of and and the Frog Brothers who are the the vampire hunters? Like where did you see yourselves when you watched this mm-hmm. movie?
1: Well, for <clears> me, <throat> I was kind of in the middle. I mean, like like I said a little bit ago, I mean, I wanted to be the vampires, but I just wasn't. I was <laughs> Sam, you know. I I was the Frog Brothers like yeah, I think most young males that watched that movie around that time. I mean, it's kind of like watching The Crow. We are in no uh, way as cool as that character. Well, no, I, I don't mean like just males in general. I just mean like when I was a kid or a teenager and I saw The Crow, we all wanted to be that, that person, but we weren't half as cool as that. And I think Lost Boys is another film like that. We all wanted to be Kiefer. We wanted to be Marco. We wanted to be all these characters, you know, but we kind of weren't. So it was a, it was a fun ride to – See ourselves represented as the Sams, Mm -hmm. but also live vicariously through the more dangerous, you know, rebellious characters as well. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, when I saw this, I didn't see it in the theater when it first came out. I was a little on the young side. Um, So I know I saw it on VHS. I'm pretty sure I saw it after I saw The Monster Squad. Yeah. I was sort of like, you know, because because in that movie, I mean, the kids are essentially, you know, monster hunters. Right. And so I think I sided with the Frog Brothers and um, Sam's character when I finally did see this, because it was um, because, you know, I I, I was like, oh, I was a monster kid. You know, that's what I was felt like I was, you know, I wasn't, um, I definitely was not cool enough to be a <laughs> vampire. <laughs> I, I had to be one of the, one of the, one of the others, one of the younger kids and they were closer to my age when I did see it. Um, cause I was probably, this came out and I was about nine or mm. 10. So I didn't see it in the theater, but, um, I saw it a couple years later. Uh, my brother and I watched it and, um, Yeah, we were both sort of definitely in in that younger – in the younger age group uh, when we watched it.
2: Yeah, I'm going to have to continue that kind of – that trend that Jerry and Brian just said is that like – I would have been in seventh grade when I uh, when this movie came out, and I also didn't see it in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to one of the things to realize about this movie is although it did pretty well at the box office, it made like four times its its budget, it really what it where it became known as it was like a staple on HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, the movie channel. Mm-hmm. Like this movie was in heavy rotation on uh those premium movie channels, and it was like one of the biggest, like, sellers in the early days, like, when when VHS really started to, like, really hit its peak or really start to climb overall. Like, this is one of those movies that everybody either owned or rented over and over and over again until they wore the tape out. Um, So, for me, like, I never would have been cool enough to be like a David or a Michael to the point where I would think about sneaking in to go mm. see this movie in seventh grade. Like that would have been yeah. too dangerous for, you know, 12, 13 year old me. I'm like, what if I get caught? They'll tell my mom and dad. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't even be that cool, but I definitely saw myself as a Sam like that kid that loved comic books and um, mm-hmm. The kid that, you know, would, like, play video games. Like, I would, like, you know, pretend to be sick so I could stay home from school to play Castlevania Two on the old Nintendo. Um, So that would have been me in a nutshell. And also, like, I can't say that I necessarily was, like, a latchkey kid. You know, I think one of the things that The Lost Boy does that a lot of 80s horror movies do is, you know, the parents are not quite absent in this movie like mm-hmm. obviously um Diane Weiss character is going through a divorce mm-hmm. they have to move back in with grandpa grandpa's kind of big weirdo that exists on the peripheral of the Mm -hmm. movie and, you know, Diane Weiss mother character is just trying to get on her feet. So like Michael and Sam are pretty much left to their own devices. And that would have been kind of me growing up. Like we were basically, you know, during the summertime when the sun came up, like you were kicked out of the house and said, like, don't come back until lunch. And then yeah. after a half hour for lunch, like, you were kicked out of the house again. And it was like, don't come back until dinner time. Um, so we were on our own a lot. And I would have seen myself a lot through, like, the character of Sam overall, who couldn't quite, like, not quite old enough to do everything he wanted to do, um, but was still left to his own devices and left to entertain himself all the time. Because, I mean, that growing up. I mean, it was such a different
1: time, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I remember just after school, just walking around town for hours, you know? Nobody cared. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, it was shitty parenting on my my dad's part, but, (laughs) you know, like, we went to the mall, we went to the comic book stores, we went to the movies if we wanted. As long as we were back before the sun went down, like, it was kind of fair game. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, it was the same. I mean, growing up in the, you know, early to mid-90s, it was the same thing. It was we would take off. It was exactly like you said, Mike, like you, you know, you're kicked out of the house, you know, it could be 98 degrees outside, a hundred percent humidity. And I'm like, mm-hmm. mom, I'm going to melt. And she's like, yeah. I don't care. I got, I got stuff to do. Like <laughs> give yeah. me my alone time. I can't wait till you go back to school. Yeah. So it would be kicked out. You come back for lunch and you'd be kicked out again. And then you come back for dinner and you know, that that's it.
2: And it feels so different now. Like I know like my, our daughter is nine and I think that if we were just to tell her to, like, go to one of your friends' houses and see if they're able to play,
0: <laughs> that
2: the parents would call Child Protective Services <laughs> on us for being, like, we have, like, the, the, our, we have to do so much work now to set up play dates and activities, mm-hmm. and that's I really true. want to get to the point where it's like, just go find one of your friends, go hang out, and, like, that's you just didn't. not done. Even like really like simple things
1: are like huge now. I mean, like I said, I was out and about doing whatever I wanted. I don't even let my kids go outside to take out the trash alone because mm-hmm. I'm so just scared of of mm-hmm. you know the the times we live in. Lost Boys came out, and and I also think that everything that we're speaking on kind of speaks on the film itself too, because that movie kind of really showed that kind of uh, get out of the house kind of mentality yes. that a lot of our parents had you know uh the mom you know diane weese character you know she gave them money go do whatever you want to do i'll be at the video store mm-hmm. you know there was that trust that was a like really prevalent in that time that doesn't exist anymore and i think that's a mm-hmm. that's why maybe that's why so many of us love that movie uh because it kind of brings us back to that feeling and even though lost boys i mean it really kind of put out that impression of like, oh, here's the boys' movie, here's a boys' movie. I was never really one of those boys, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I I never had that kind of machismo kind of thing. I never, you know, I loved Lost Boys because I felt like free watching it. I felt like it represented myself. It was Mm. never like a boys' night out thing for me.
2: Agreed. And I think... To your, you know, Veronica, you were asking what we think about Jamie Gertz as an actress and a char- the character a star. I think the fact that we've spent maybe like 10 of our words discussing her yeah. kind of maybe gives you kind of maybe an insight. And in it. it's, you know, it's like she's fine. I mean, she's obviously like she's stunningly beautiful in this movie there's no and i think she was she wasn't the first choice um of actress for this role by though Jason Patrick had appeared uh with her in a different film and he solar felt baby, he had, right? I think you're correct Solar Babies and you know he was adamant like that she they had enough chemistry together um and that they Honestly more, he had you know.
3: more chemistry with Kiefer. I mean yes. I, that's that's very true. It's so sensual right. when he comes out of the fog. Like there's just so many moments That are, you know, just, I think that if you are the right age and the right, the right person, I think that this is a very big movie on awakenings. It's what, I mean, I, that's, I'm reading it and I'm seeing it now as like, you know, a 37 Mm -hmm. year old person. And it's, it's just, it's a very, um, it's a very intense, sensual movie on relationships. And I mean, vampires are always sexual anyway. So, um, but it's, it feels like it could have been a bigger deal for different people for different reasons.
2: I think that's a good segue. I think we, you know, we're going to talk about uh queer interpretation and queer representation in the lost boys. And I think that you've given us like a really good um, opportunity to maybe segue into that before we touch on a few other things overall in the movie um, watching this movie again this week. And I watched it a couple times I saw, I think for the first time, the character of Star is less of a love interest for David. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that she's put in that role because that's kind of the expectation, the damsel in distress in a movie like this. But she's not really so much a love interest as much as like He's David bait. uses her as bait.
3: Yeah, she's bait.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's used basically to pull Michael and others like him. Into this movie overall, and then they're going to prey on Michael at that point. And it's a bit of gay panic, I would say, in that reading of it overall, where it's like, you know, if you fall in with the wrong crowd, if you fall in with a queer crowd, then you're going to become queer, uh, whether and you know against your own will, seemingly. Which is an interesting reading when you have like such an openly gay man in Joel mm-hmm. Schumacher filming the movie. Yeah.
3: And even well, Sam's response, you know, when um, he's trying to justify it. My brother's not, you know, he's a, he's a half vampire, if anything. Like, he's trying mm-hmm. to justify the halfness and the, you know.
1: Mm. Well, I that, didn't even give that a thought like that. As a no, metaphor. totally. I, I agree with that 100%. But uh, also at the same time, Michael's the one searching for this stuff. If you mm-hmm. really, you know, it, it's not. I mean, there is debate with star, but at the same time, Michael's the one really drawn to that. It almost feels like, you know, he kind of wanted to find that crowd because Michael's looking for an acceptance. He's looking for people that are like him, you know? And I think that that speaks on a lot of themes that, I mean, that people kind of overlooked, especially in the eighties, you know, it is, it is a very, uh, not just homoerotic, but like it is, it, I, I've always seen the lost. I mean, obviously not as a kid, but as an adult, I've always seen the Lost Boys as kind of a metaphor for that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: everything. I mean, everything from that jokey Rob Lowe poster right. to to Michael looking for that. I mean, there's a lot of very subtle and sometimes not so subtle right. lines and actions that kind of, you know, the the wine bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that yeah. whole sequence. You know, even at the end, the end fight. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, blood's in your body kind of thing. Like the Lost Boys, I think could be and should be a film that really gives us a, a look at kind of those themes in the 80s that maybe a lot of people in the the, you know, LGBTQ community maybe didn't realize was a kind of movie for them in some ways. I mean, when you look back at that time. There wasn't a kind of rock and roll fun movie that had those themes in it. It was mostly like films like Longtime Companion, or you know, all these like very heavy award-winning dramas. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lost mm-hmm. Boys, Lost Boys, I mean, how many, how many queer, uh, I mean, young people or teenagers or young adults or whatever, looked for something that kind of spoke to them, you know? And I feel like the Lost Boys was that kind of movie for a lot of people.
3: I think we should let Michael know what's going on.
1: Yeah.
0: Michael. Good night, Michael.
1: Bombs away!
2: (laughs) Bottles up, man.
0: (laughs) Come with us, Michael. Come on down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome aboard, Michael. <laughs>
0: Fun, <now>. huh? <laughs>
2: think it's interesting too that during this time period perhaps the two movies that maybe have like the best representation of the lgbt community in horror movies that were more mainstream would be the lost boys as well as 1985's fright night yeah. where yeah, you have you know chris sarandon's uh character of you know jerry dandridge along with um I'm trying to think who his minion is. is. That Billy, who is his minion in the movie, the person who uh, lives with Jerry. I think that's, you know. Easily coded as like your suburban gay couple. And they're, you know, really, although the characters are evil, they're shown as having like a very reciprocal, kind of caring relationship towards one another. You have uh, Evil Ed's character in Fright Night, I think, being coded as like a closeted boy who, you know, doesn't quite know what he is or where he belongs and is really struggling to find his place in the world. You know, have that movie. And then you have, you know, this gang of young men. In the Lost Boys, who you know come across all sorts of you know, they run the whole gamut of spectrums overall in terms of their sexuality. So you have these two you know vampiric movies that really best represent you know our you know evolving sexualities overall, and where it doesn't exist as just straight or gay overall, but there's a large continuum for people. Well, just you know,
1: um, go I'm sorry, to- go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say there's also a lot in the Lost Boys in terms of just letting go you know whether it's the train tracks whether it's the wine there's mm. so many little things where the overall message of the film to michael and other characters is just let go you know and it, it, the film's disguised as like kind of a horror action comedy movie but i mean I, i've always thought it was very deep for the kind of movie that was coming out around that mm. time I don't know how much
4: this really applies, but you have a sense of vampire movies before this, you know, definitely um, got into various sexual uh, kinds of things. But there were a lot of like lesbian vampire movies before this, Mm -hmm. Um, like um, uh, the Vampire Lovers, the Hammer movie, Um, then The Hunger which was in 1983 uh, with Catherine Deneuve and uh, Susan Sarandon. Um, but I, yeah, up until I mean, Fright Night. I mean, that's pretty subtextual in that mm-hmm. particular movie. But this one, it's pretty open. Um, I think you know, reading it, seeing it now. I mean, it's it just it just jumps off the screen um, what they're trying to say mm-hmm. um, about uh, about homosexuality and finding, you know, your identity and those sorts of things and where you belong. And I think there's an element of it, you know, being a struggle. I I, I personally haven't experienced that. I, I'd be interested in hearing other opinions on this. Um, but um, I think it's just a fascinating idea. You know, Michael is like, I, I want to be part of this, but you know, I've been told my whole life, this is wrong or something. I I don't, it seems like there's that tension going on throughout the course of the film.
3: No, absolutely. I agree. There is, there's, I think it's the sense of Michael just battling with himself. And I, I think just seeing it as seeing it as an adult, I, I see this, I think as a kid, I just, again, not being familiar with the movie as a child, I, I, I I would have I I don't know if I either would have missed it or I would have latched onto it. It would have been one of the two, right? Like I would have either been like, "Wow, I feel this so deeply," or the second thing where I'm like, "This is a great funny vampire movie." Mm -hmm.
4: Right, and I think you know my whole reading for you know most of my life has been this is just a great fun vampire movie. Mm -hmm. You know. You know, I mean, I, this is the first time I've seen it in a while, uh, probably saw it in college the last time I saw it. So, uh, which was, you know, 20 years ago. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting to see it, you know, just with a little bit more life experience and just Mm -hmm. hearing more people's, um, other people's experiences, you know, just being more informed, um. And just seeing these different perspectives sort of come out of the film this time.
2: Yeah, and there's you also, what? there's this, when we discussed like the chemistry between David and Michael, that like Michael on the surface is doing everything he does to stay with this group of. Uh, this, this group because of Star, that, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to go through the initiation. He's going to hang with them because he wants Star. But every time the, he looks at her, the movie ends up cutting back to David. And there's that scene where he does drink of the tainted blood that kind of causes him to become a half vampire. And again, you're drinking blood from a very phallic looking item. And it's. You know, important to note that this movie was made at the height of the AIDS crisis in the 1980s mm-hmm. yes. as well, where if you were diagnosed with HIV, you were basically given a death sentence. And it wasn't matter of if, it was a matter of when. And that when was usually going to be a very short time away. Um, and that during this time period, like literally close to nothing was being done by the Reagan administration to curb this disease because it was seen as punishment for gay men. Like, they were seen as basically getting what they deserve. Like, that if you were to contract this to contract this disease, you were getting what you deserve. You were being punished for having a really, like, sinful lifestyle at that point. Um, so it's easy to kind of, you know, see the tainted blood or the wine bottle as that. And it's interesting that... Th- How Michaelis contracts his vampirism isn't through getting bit, but through willingly taking part in the ritual. Like He's not so much seduced or assaulted by David, which I think you can see a vampire attacked in most movies as a metaphor for sexual assault. Here, he willingly gives himself over to David. He drinks that wine. Hmm. And also,
1: I mean, Star kind of warns him
2: against it, mm-hmm. and he just looks mm. at and is
1: like, "Yeah, right." Like he openly mm-hmm. goes for it, you right.
2: know? He does, yeah. And mm-hmm. as soon as he does that, you know, he looks at Star, but the picture immediately cuts to David. You're seeing the point of view of what he's actually looking at as he's looking at David. He's looking for David's accept acceptance overall. Um, even the love scene later on in the movie, like David goes back to the cave to find Star, and because he doesn't know what's going on with him, he's really confused. He's, you know, which again, what a metaphor for coming out this confusion, this Mm -hmm. kind of looking for like going back to the person who you hope is going to pull you back into like a heteronormative lifestyle again. And when they make love with one another it immediately cuts to the clouds. And it's almost like Schumacher is suggesting like this is an out-of-body experience for Michael, that he's not fully there. His mind and his heart really isn't in there in the moment. Um, even the lyrics from... That song, "Cry, Little Sister." Yeah. You know, the line are like, "Unchain me, sister. Love is with your brother." It's like, not you know, as a forty-four-year-old, I'm like, "How did I miss this?"
1: Growing
4: yes, up, right? <laughs> i, I,
2: I, 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 I in the same way. <laughs> so
1: else, uh, really quickly, though. I mean, I see all these themes as being a huge part of the movie. But with that being said, like. I'm not a member of the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community. So if we have any listeners that are, that would like to speak on kind of like how you guys interpret it, please like comment or tweet at us and stuff, Mm -hmm. because I would love to hear, you know, your perspective on this as well. Definitely. Yes. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So I don't, yeah. And I don't know the, you know, sexualities of anyone on the panel. I only know my own. So, Same. you know, I'm only commenting from like the point of view of a, like a cis, you know, mostly hetero dude overall. Mm-hmm. So there's not too much there that I can add in terms of like any sort of coming out or whatnot. Um, I read, you know, the two other things I wanted to comment on that I had noted when it comes to this is like, Jerry, you had mentioned the train track scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think I had tweeted this week, like, there's some subtext here, but I don't quite understand what it is, like, because, again, it's just beating you over the head, like, David screaming to Michael, let go, be free, let go, and when Michael lets go, he immediately lands in his bed, and he's at peace with himself, and it's, like, this kind of, you know, like, he's free, and he's, like, who he's supposed to be at that point, and I thought, you know, watching that scene again was kind of a hoot, um, it's and they're om- so
1: excited. They're so proud of who they are. Like the yeah. part with Alex Winter when he's jumping off the train tracks, he does the finger guns and smiles. Right. Like yeah. So much glee in the vampires being vampires. Like it's so mm-hmm. much fun to
2: watch. Right. That being said, what do we make of the climax of the movie, where Michael essentially needs to like snuff out his attraction? And urges towards David by killing him. What do we make of that in terms of like, you know, it it it's a confuse to me, it becomes like it confuses the message a little bit.
0: Yeah. Because
2: so I kind of want to get others' opinions on it because I feel like I've chatted enough for a moment.
4: I've been thinking a lot about this one because I think you have a similar problem in a nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, where you have created a metaphor um, throughout the course of the film, but the problem is you've mixed your metaphor with a mythical monster, uh-huh. and in mythical storytelling, a monster has to be destroyed. Uh-huh. So that's where you run into this problem of okay, we've we've created this story about being free, you know, and and and. And becoming something new, but um, we have to kill the monster. And so you're mixing your metaphor, and so it's sort of it because of that it blunts your message that you have been trying to set up through the course of the film. I agree. Yeah.
2: And even when he kills David, when he kills the monster, the urges aren't dead. Like it doesn't no. make it doesn't make the vampirism go away. It doesn't make those urges go away. And I think it's important to note that
4: that's a very good point, Mike. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like when
1: when David dies, he kind of goes back to who he was before. So it's kind of a reversal of all the themes. But mm-hmm. then you have Edward Herman's character, you know, kind of like being the kind of the main source, you know. So I'm I'm kind of curious about like what really like what that really means, you know. Mm hmm.
2: All right. Am I anything I'm missing here? Anyone else to chime in on this on that uh, area?
3: No, I think you hit the nail on the head, um, Brian. I think that it does make for. I, I think that you're right. Mixing the mythology with the with the you know ideas behind the movie, the it it, it, it can get confusing and it did muddle the message and it makes. Um, I, I think that it just wraps it up a little too nicely at the end, but it leaves it confusing for probably the people who could have used a little more uh maybe uh, maybe a little more of a conclusion mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. all right yeah it, it ends your story but it uh, you know it ends it ends the the story with a with a climax but you know it doesn't um uh, it doesn't satisfy the metaphor. Yes, yes,
3: yes. That's, mm-hmm. well, yeah. that's
1: it. I mean, the film, the film works on this very great metaphorical uh, way, you know, and and that's great. And I, I think has so much, uh, so many great things to say. But even on just like a surface level, I, I think even people that really aren't interested in really looking to see what it's about, you know, as a kid, like I had no idea about that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But, even from that perspective of not really knowing that stuff like i, I think the film just works so well on every level i mean mm-hmm. it, it it's funny, it's scary at times. I mean, God damn, that last quarter of the film is so good as far mm-hmm. as like action set pieces yeah i mean like i I guarantee you that ninety percent of the people that watched this movie for the first time stood up and cheered when nook, you know. Yeah. So the, attacked the vampire into mm-hmm. the bathtub. Like, it's yeah. one of the coolest sequences ever. You get blood coming from the sinks. You get, like, one of the most quotable lines of all time. Like, I spent over a year after this movie came out, like, reenacting the, you know, you miss sucker line with my brother to the point where <laughs> I would get grounded for saying that again. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, like, I'm not kidding. There was one time my dad was chasing me around the house with the belt. And every time that he wanted land to hit, I would say that to him because I was such a little bastard. <laughs> like, the film is just quotable. You know, it, it's one of those movies that, like I said, it has very deep meaning, but even just on the surface, it is just such an
4: enjoyable ride. This was one of the movies I had, a I had a friend in college and we were, we were really close friends and, um, and he kind of got me back into horror. For some reason, I had sort of felt like I needed to shun it for a little while. And this is one of the movies we watched together. And his favorite line was "Death by Stereo." Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my so,
1: favorite fans of all time got their name from that. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, so every time I I uh, I, I see this movie, I, I and I hear that line, it just it just you know it makes me smile to think of my friend. You know, um, so. That was a cool thing for me to see this. I think, it's a, this film that,
1: I think mm-hmm. it's a film that gave a lot of us that. And I, mm-hmm. I don't mean like a lot of us, like just like, you know, like males, but I just mean a lot of horror fans or just film fans in general. This movie is such a a time machine for a lot of us. Yeah. You know, it takes us back to those memories of, you know, watching it with my brother, you know, my mm-hmm. dad trying to spank my ass while talking shit to him, <laughs> you know, like you and your friend. Like, of all the movies, like it seems like Lost Boys is probably one of the 10 movies that I've I've kind of discovered is that kind of time capsule for mm-hmm.
2: so many people. Well, it definitely exists in a t- I mean, it definitely, when you watch this movie now, it it's so 80s. And I think Fright Night, which came before it, Fright mm-hmm. Night was more of an ode to, you know, the classic hammer horror and mm-hmm. a more classical period in horror. And it kind of didn't really embrace modern, uh, modernity in any way, shape, or form, where Schumacher is very much of the moment, very much of, like, this is, like, MTV's ability to make the taste of its time and to set trends mm-hmm. is all over this movie. And well, that exists within the film. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, comic books,
1: arcades, music, heavy mm-hmm. metal music, rock music, all the stuff that the fans usually watch horror films are really into mm-hmm. exists in this movie, which mm-hmm. makes it even more relatable.
4: There's also some hip hop in this. Yeah, it's uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith's uh, "Walk This Way," mm-hmm. uh, which I I had never picked up on that being in this before, and I thought, well, that's that's kind of cool because I mean that was um, you know hip hop was still you know it was working its way into the mainstream by that time, but it wasn't in the forefront yeah this would have yet.
2: been the, at the time when like run-dmc mm-hmm. had broken through with that song and i think mm-hmm. this is, would have been just after the album probably like tougher than leather i think would have been out by now if i'm correct you know mm-hmm. public enemy was starting to get, like this would have been about the time that i want to say Yo! MTV Raps would have been a staple on Saturday mornings, right. um, like I 10 wish. to 10.30 in the morning on MTV. And, yep. you know, now you have all these suburban kids who were getting in and introduced to bands like Public Enemy, De La Soul. In mm-hmm. um, a few years from now would have been like NWA would have been, you know, on that overall. So you are getting yes. that infusion of hip-hop into the soundtrack. The music is interesting partly because... This soundtrack, from top to bottom, is a banger. You have, yeah, Oingo Boingo covering "People Are Strange" by The Doors, and doing, you know, for what was considered a pretty avant-garde, like new wave band, doing a pretty straight up. Cover of the song overall to the point where you might be excused if you weren't I mean, listening too close, thinking it was the original. You have in excess with you know "Good Time Tonight." I remember that song being played every hour on MTV that summer. Like you yeah. could not escape that song if you tried. And the way that this movie, which did not have a lot of money in the budget for music, the way they scored. Uh, all of these bands is basically to have Joel Schumacher say like I'll direct your next music video because that is the background he had come from you know and sure enough like not long after this Schumacher is directing uh, videos for In Excess like the Devil Inside video the documentary the mm-hmm. video flick like he does like a lot of music videos for this band you know coming from that background overall so
4: you can definitely see the influence of that background in the film. I mean, you have a lot of those—the the, superimposed images kind of floating on top of each other throughout the movie. Um, Is you, during, like during during the the blood drinking scene, you know, from the wine bottle, uh, it's it's just heads into this whole almost like acid trip of a moment where where you have. Um, just image upon image going on. That was very much way music videos looked, mm-hmm. uh, during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I think I cut you off, Veronica.
3: No, I was just going to say, it's cool how he bartered to, to get yeah. into mm-hmm. the, into the soundtrack. I think that's, that's so smart. Like, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. No, it's a hundred percent is, um, what are we speaking of? Music. I don't think we can talk about music in this movie without talking about shirtless saxophone man. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what's
1: funny is that dude is such a staple in the convention circuit now. All these years <laughs> later, and he shows up like I, I've seen. I, I he hasn't been in a convention I've been to, but I just keep seeing people post pictures. The dude shows up with no shirt and his saxophone still. <laughs> it's like. Like man, that guy must be up there in age, and he's still fucking going for it. You yeah, know, filling
3: himself <laughs> up, <laughs> wearing, <laughs> wearing
4: <laughs> <different> <laughs> going <laughs> to the convention bathroom and rubbing oil on his chest. putting on those wallet chains. Like he mm-hmm. knows how
3: to. He knows what to
2: do. Still believes. I mean, I'm it's looking so at pictures at him on the convention <laughs> circuit, and he's still pretty jacked up. I mean, like he's still, you know, for a guy that's got to be in his sixties at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's got two tickets to the gun show, is all I'm going to say. (laughs) Isn't that that
1: such a shitty
2: pillow? Because I'm pushing 40 and I look like
1: shit. Like, oh, this man. dude's, like, up there in age, and he looks, like, so ripped with the saxophone.
2: <laughs> I just had the, the second graders at the school where I'm a counselor at, like, right before Christmas, they have, like, one of the teachers dresses as Santa and gives out stuff. And, like, I was on lunch duty that day, and they're like, you were Santa, and I was not Santa. And I'm like, you little fuckers. So I'm like, I wasn't Santa. So I immediately signed up for a gym that afternoon. Um, and I am... You know, gonna like not only drop weight, but I'm gonna drop those little shits next year when they're in third
3: grade. <laughs> hey, it's well, like when no. people, yeah, it's like when people tell you that um, you remind them of celebrity, and you're like, "Wow, who?" and they're like, "Ah, Rosie O'Donnell." I'm like, "Oh, oh,
4: fuck that's off!" That's yeah.
3: like, <laughs> They just well, I, drop I have, yeah. to
4: say, I have to say, okay, so I'm, I'm, um am I don't know. So we've seen the pictures, dude. We've seen the pictures. 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 So if you follow me on Twitter, um, uh, over the past uh, year and a half or so, um, I went from two hundred seventy pounds to one hundred and seventy pounds. Damn. I'm a little more than that now. I, I was actually. Uh, this is going to sound so pretentious. I was bulking for the last three months, so I'm cutting back down. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so I just, you know, <laughs> my guy he encourages me, you know, hey, get to the gym. Do make yourself feel. I'm, I'm, and, you know, I'm, I'm anyone who wants to do that. You know, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm an encourager there. So um, anyway, well, I, maybe
3: you can be shirtless saxophone man for the next <laughs> Halloween.
4: Do it well. I can't remember, whatever. So, I don't know why I'm embarrassed. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. talk about that anymore. But you know.
2: every year, I look more and more like John Goodman, like Me John too. Goodman's become excellent. So, we're in good. <laughs> I feel like I'm in good company now. It's yeah.
4: so, all right because you're talking about celebrities you look like mm-hmm. for years now. I would get. It, uh, when I first started losing weight, people said, "Oh, you look just like Kelsey Grammer." Well, mm-hmm. uh, okay, fine, sure. Uh, then I went. I bought uh, the latest Scream magazine from Barnes Barnes and Noble because I wanted to get Jerry's article. And, um, you. and you're welcome. <laughs> and um, the uh, lady at the counter said, "Has anyone said you look like Fraser?" And I said, "Yeah." <laughs> And she says, well, you know what? Actually, you look like Frazier's brother. I was like, oh. that, that is a victory. I'll go with that one. That I'll is
3: a victory. It. Anyway.
2: <laughs> oh, I'd say take that as a compliment, my friend. Yeah, I, I mean,
3: ask any lady. If you if you dangle Kelsey Grammer or David Hyde Pierce, they're all going to just shift toward David Hyde Pierce. Mm-hmm. So good for you, Brian.
4: Mm-hmm. I, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that was a... Right tangent there all right we're all about we're all about these
2: tangents um what do we think i i kind of want to ask what do we think about the way the lost boys plays fast and loose with like vampire uh, mythology overall
3: okay so that is one of my other questions so there's two things here the first one is there's not even a question. As soon as Sam suspects Michael's a vampire, it's Michael's a vampire. All right, let's run with this. The second thing is you invited me into your house, so now I can't die by garlic? Like, I don't know where that comes in. So if you want to just start talking about
0: that. <laughs> because- Lucy, this looks terrific.
3: Well, I hope it tastes good. Mmm.
0: wonderful. Mm-hmm.
3: Mmm. Boy, somebody around here has bad breath.
0: No, no, Would you quit breathing on me? I'll no, no, get upstairs. Go on. You want some Parmesan cheese on that? Uh, yeah, Sam. Thank you very much.
3: Sam grated the cheese himself. Oh. My son. <coughs> Are you all right?
4: No, mm. yeah. yeah, it's, it's not cheese. It's, it's garlic. <coughs> but you hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. <laughs> it's raw
0: garlic. Garlic? How did that happen? Guys, you likes garlic. Oh, sorry. Here, quick, drink some hey, water. Oh! It? Sam, what's the matter with you? Does it burn? Burn? What are you nuts? <laughs> it's freezing. Oh, look at your suit, Max, and your pants. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's all right. Gosh. Now what? It must be circuit breaker Mom. He's not glowing. I know. Hit the light. Ah! You tonight
4: i think i know what's going on around here tonight you do yeah i know what you're thinking sam but you're wrong ma'am yeah i'm not trying to replace your father or steal your mother away from you i would just like to be your friend that's all
1: I, I think that what I love about the movie is also that kind of disregarding of every rule set before it. And I love when movies do that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of why I I don't like Scream that much. I know mm-hmm. I'm like in the minority there, but it's because I don't want someone to say, Well, these are the rules of this kind of movie, you know, you have to follow these or this will happen. I love that Lost Boys kind of makes a lot of it up as it goes. And, you know, it, yeah. it it kind of like screws off so much that came before it. But I think that's part of its charm. And it goes kind of it goes kind of with like, like I said earlier, where they're in over their head. And, yes. you know, uh-huh. they're they're trying to utilize all these rules that they know from movies that they saw, mm-hmm. you know, Sam and the Frog Brothers. And this movie kind of like subverts a lot of those. And I think that it's really awesome that it does
2: that. It feels a little bit like a cheat to me because they obviously want to set up the character of Max as a red herring and, you know, have his reveal as the head vampire is this kind of like really big, shocking moment at the end. But he such an obvious I mean, he's so obviously who you would look to. As being the head villain that they want to disregard him and they do it in such a way where, you know, like what I think what throws me off is not so much the garlic. Because garlic, like vampires can't stand it, but it won't kill them. But when the holy water spills on him and he's like, oh, it's just a bit cold, Um, you know, and then when he's like, oh, well, you invited me into your home. And once you do that, like, you have no power over me. Like, I've never read, and I understand your point, Jerry, where it's like, well, we're just disregarding it. Um, Isn't that other movies, though? I mean, that happens in like. The Fright Night remake and a lot of other ones. It just means that you can come and go as you please at that point. But Uh, even even in Fright Night, when you know Jerry goes into the home, um, he's still affected by all the things that can hurt a vampire. It just means that he can come and go freely. But as far as vampire
3: mythology is, hmm? um, I can't come in until you let me in. But you can still, you know, holy water is still going to hurt you
2: and there have been like clever ways to get around like the vampires coming into your home like there's that episode of Buffy when Angel turns into Angelus, Angelicus or and he's able to go in and out of Sunnydale High because like the logo on the front door is in Latin and it translates to something like enter anyone who is seeking knowledge he's like well great that means I can kind of come in and out as I please at that point mm-hmm. um, so there are clever ways to get in and around that um as far as i know like david and his crew were never invited into sam and michael's home that is true Mm -hmm. right am i so and they were able to kind of like bust in like you know the fireplace exploding scene which i wouldn't you know trade that off for anything at all like that's an awesome like super iconic moment um I don't know if it's because like Star and the other little boy were let in that if it just becomes a general invite because they were part of the crew, but it, it it's not really explained. And I guess, you know, like it doesn't ruin the movie for me in any way. It doesn't lessen my enjoyment of the movie in any way shape or form, but I think that because there are no rules about when you have the frog brothers that are like spouting off all these rules when they don't have it, it becomes a little bit silly. Well, in, in The Lost Boys, though, like,
1: I mean, I, I might be wrong, but like, if they invite you in, just in this movie, if they invite you in, does that just mean that the powers don't work? Because, I mean, or is it that that any vampire can come in that the whole inviting thing doesn't apply except
2: for the powers? You know what I mean? like. So that's a good question, and I don't know if it means because they're all part of one brood yeah. that because, like, Max is the head of the brood, if that applies to anyone that he's made a vampire, I always took it as, like, you know, it's, that's you know what I, thought. I always picture, like, the ability to go in and out of, like, vampire, you know, in a of house as a vampire, you kind of have, like, that power being set up like the dude at the club that's holding, like, the red velvet rope. And he's like, all right, you guys are in, you're in, you're in. You're wearing a douchey hat, so you go to the back of the line. Like, it was individual as opposed to, like, one group thing. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. So that was – so what other things do they play with? I'm trying to think what else they play with here overall in terms of vampire mythos. But that really is the one big one is, like, whether what is going to work um, – on a vampire like the whole like well you invited me in so therefore i have you know like these things don't affect me anymore seem a little bit strange
1: what i kind of think of when i I come to this movie and a lot of movies is kind of like what justin beam said on the rob zombies halloween two uh episode is it's it was never like an issue to me because i i try especially with movies like the kind of kind of have a set uh, mythos to them i kind of try to let them exist on their own you know what I mean? Like I kind of like disregard mythos when it comes to like every kind of movie like this because I feel like it's so wrapped up in so many mm-hmm. things. You know, like at this day and age, when you think of zombies, you think of you know brains. They need brains. But that didn't come to return to living dead. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. the mythos and the, the kind of like rules of all these things have changed so much mm-hmm. that you kind of have to go into each of these movies kind of with a like a, a clean slate, I think.
4: Well, I mean, even when it, coming back to vampire um, myths, I mean, so many of them were just made up by Bram Stoker. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, there's there no background before that about, you know, casting, sh- not being able to cast a shadow or, or the mm-hmm. mirrors or um, the state through the heart and garlic. I mean, state through the heart, I think, existed yeah, In, in mythology mm-hmm. before that, or, or in uh, folklore before that, but so much of it. I mean, even in in interview of the vampire later, um, uh, they talk, they go through the litany of all the different things that are supposed to affect vampires, and Brad Pitt you know, as uh, Louie is saying, yeah, none of those things. Those are all the uh, made up by a demented Irishman, you mm-hmm. know, referring to Bram Stoker, essentially saying in that movie, the only thing that will kill them is the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas um, in this, you know, you, you still have the stakes and you mm-hmm. still have all the, all that kind of fun stuff, which makes them explode, which is so much fun.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you could definitely, there's, I mean, with vampirism, there's all sorts of different, myths to them, and depending on the region, the folklore was different. I know in some regions if you, like, dropped a bowl of um, uncooked rice, they would have to stop and count every piece of rice that they couldn't cross running water. So there was some really outdoor, out there kind of mythos that belonged to vampirism. I think it would be a really boring movie if somebody, like, threw a bag of Uncle Ben's at a vampire, <laughs> and then, like, for the rest of the movie, they have to count
4: it while you slowly get away. So
0: Have
4: you guys seen, uh, I just finally saw it for the first time this week, um, what we do in the shadows
3: oh you just mm-hmm. saw oh, for the great. first time oh my gosh i I
4: have no I have...
3: idea the nick eat your biscotti came from this they mm-hmm. came from this movie like this mm-hmm. was... yeah. oh my goodness that movie
4: yeah, so we saw that from the lost boys you know i mean that whole thing but they basically uh in in that movie they take every single rule that is ever applied to a vampire and and use it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. To in and and so to see something that uh, sort of, whereas this movie sort of shirks some of those things and skirts around them, you know, to see that doing something, you know, where it's like we're gonna just every rule is gonna apply. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 entertaining to see how different vampire movies um, deal with with those uh, those different aspects. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, the other thing about this movie, too, I love how it has a little bit of odes to Salem's Lot in it. Um, oh, there's a couple that jump out right away the Toby Hooper made for television, um, Salem's Lot, which to mm-hmm. me remains one of the scariest. Like, the first thing that ever scared me was the jailhouse scene in Salem's <sighs> Lot. I remember seeing that and running out of the room and hiding under my bed in tears at like a really young age because that frightened me so much. Um, Michael floating outside of his window is a really nice little nod to like Danny Glick scratching at the window, like all the vampire children hmm. scratching at the window. Even the impalement at the end of the movie where Michael impales David on the antlers remind me of the scene where um, not Barlow, but is it... I'm trying to think of the minion's name in that movie now. Anyway, Barlow's minion, Straker, um, picking up Susan's father and walking him down the hallway and just like hanging, you know, impaling him on those pale of antlers, like, with as much effort as it would take you and I to maybe, like, hang up our hat and coat on a coat rack. Like, things like that are just... I love those little nods to Salem's Lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, what else do we have to talk? I have a one or two other things, but where else do you guys <laughs> want to go before I... I'm good. I mean,
4: yeah. Yeah, it's like... So, uh, oh, I have one th- one thing that I really want to mention is uh, is Michael Chapman, the DP of this movie,
0: mm-hmm.
4: is. I, what he does with this movie is so remarkable. I mean, all the mist and all that. Just just the look of this film and then, you know, to think that this is the guy that did, you know, Taxi Driver.
3: Yeah, right? Raging, Raging Cole, Ball.
4: Raging like Ball. Yeah. But then he, I, I looked up his filmography. He also did a Slumber Party Massacre.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: What? I mean, I mean so you mm-hmm. just got um, this, this master mm-hmm. of his craft, you know, doing... Um, so much great stuff, and that is across such a wide variety of, of of genres, and and let's face it, of respectability for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I think his work in this is just beautiful and just fantastic.
2: He gives you those wonderful point of view shots where yeah. you have like the uh, David and his crew, like kind of coming at their victims overall and you see that with the security guard and then you see it later on with a couple uh, that are like kind of making out and reading comics and they're convertible and you see just like what I love about this movie is it never shies away from being really violent even though it's a movie starring kids you know kind of four older kids overall it doesn't shy away from that violence and like those scenes even though you don't see a lot like they're pretty brutal like seeing things kind of ripped away like that or just fairly brutal overall i love that
4: one of the things that's also kind of cool i think it's sort of related to that and uh i i watched this documentary um that was just had a section about the lost boys and all of the blood and sort of uh vampire slime has glitter in it in this movie so they do spark they do spark. sparkle, and the thing is, I noticed because I just was—I didn't quite get to the to the last section of the movie when I was watching it this morning. But um, after they um, slay Alex Winter's vampire, and they come back out into the sunlight to get in the car, you can see the Frog Brothers are literally sparkling. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look like you know Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. <laughs> in that in that sequence. But it, that was the first time I really noticed it. That yeah, there really is glitter in that stuff mm-hmm. in this movie, and it and it, it adds this this um, this sort of sense of this alluring element to the blood even.
2: Well, I think that's a good point to jump on to, like the influence of this movie mm-hmm. uh, through the years. Like when I watched this movie. It's really easy to see where Joss Whedon got a lot of his ideas for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer television show. I mean, when you look at David, it's Kiefer Sutherland as David here, it's impossible not to see the character of Spike from that show reflected. Both are these like bleach blonde vampires with this like romantic streak and is really like kind of punk look. They both have the long duster coats overall. Um, the Frog Brothers and Sam are kind of your prototypical Scooby gang where you have Buffy with Willow and Xander in that show even like Santa Clara in this movie is referred to as the murder capital of the world. And that's what Sunnydale was referred to, um, early on in the run of like Buffy, the vampire slayer, the Mm -hmm. show they refer to it as like the murder capital of the world, you know, And both shows, I think, you know, both this, this movie and, and Joss Whedon's Buffy television show are really of its age. They really reflect the youth culture of this time. Um, so I think that this show, like, draws, like, they draw a real parallel to one another, and you can really see the influence of it overall. I think the influence
1: from Lost Boys is kind of on almost everything that followed after mm-hmm. that. I mean, there there have been great vampire movies that are just uniquely themselves. I mean, Byzantium, uh, Kiss of the Damned. I mean, so many great, great vampire movies mm-hmm. that are doing their own thing. But I feel mm-hmm. like after Lost Boys, I mean, like I said with Return of the Living Dead— after that movie, zombie films were changed. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like after Lost Boys, vampire films were definitely changed, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. had a very specific kind of thing
2: to them. Yeah. What other movies would you say post Lost Boys most clearly reflect the influence of of Schumacher's film on them? I think the Lost Boys, the tribe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> <know> <laughs>
1: Yeah. I was just well, going to let anyone else go. Oh. <laughs> well, I, th- I think you see um, to some extent in the style,
4: if not necessarily in the time frame and look of, uh, of uh, Interview with the Vampire, um, you see some of those elements um, for sure. And Maybe more so in Queen of the Damned mm-hmm. um, because that's a modern setting, mm-hmm. um, and the sort of rock star character. Obviously, that's based on a novel, so it's a little bit different situation.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, or even yeah, like let the right one in with the vampire theme. Yeah, so it it can be you can pull from Lost Boys. I mm-hmm. think in in I think Jerry's right in every vampire movie that came mm-hmm. after.
4: I think yeah, also. thinking more about it. You know, the the faces being more animal like and things like that. You mm-hmm. see that still dawn. Yeah, uh, yeah. That movie. Um, and we could we could all pretend that it
1: wasn't as big of an influence because we don't want to acknowledge Twilight. But with that being said, <laughs> Twilight is 100 percent a product. I think of the Lost Boys. Oh, sure. yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I, I you know what's weird is. I think in some ways, Twilight almost does a better job at invoking the Lost Boys than the other Lost Boys movies do. Uh, because mm-hmm. you watch the second movie from the Lost Boys, and we'll get into this next episode. It, all it is is trying to be the Lost Boys. It's not mm-hmm. trying to be a continuation. It's not trying to be a sequel. It's trying to do everything that made the first one magical mm-hmm. and just fi- like failing. I mean, they even got Kiefer Sutherland's half-brother to be in it as a villain.
0: <laughs> right,
1: wow. Right, like wow, you know, but as I mean, I'm not a fan of Twilight by any means. But with that being said, I mean it. You know what I mean? It, it gets the job done with what it's trying to do, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and the influence. I think the influence uh, on Twilight from The Lost Boys is is really front and center. It's just kind I, of better down version. I think.
4: Mm-hmm. I think there's a the character in uh, True Blood. Uh, the TV series um, is, I can't remember the character's name, um, but he, uh, uh, there's there's definitely a connection to the Kiefer Sutherland character. Eric? Uh, yeah, Eric. Uh, no, not, uh, who's the other one? The sort of blonde vampire. Eric. Uh, yeah, it's Eric. Oh, that is Eric. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that show in a while, but um, yeah, so that's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Excellent.
2: So, Veronica, I'm interested, because we've chimed in a lot, because we kind of grew up with this, and you would come to it saying, like, this is a movie that you avoided uh, growing up. Like, I guess in closing, like, going back and, like, watching it specifically for the show, like, how did you come out of this movie overall? Like, what were your overall impressions after watching this You know, for something like this as opposed to being something that you were told you had to watch if you were, like, a horror fan. Like, oh, you have to like this movie, which is always (laughs) bullshit, but...
3: (laughs) I sort of... I I think I sort of felt like that with this movie, too. I I go into it, and I know everybody I know, every horror fan Mm -hmm. loves this movie. I mean, every horror fan I know is a 40-year-old man, too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... it's, it it's so nostalgic and it's such a cult classic at this point that I think that going into it, um, my expectations going into this were, um, actually weren't that high. I mean, I know everybody loves it, but I also know it's a product of the eighties and, you know, um, the Corey's were in it. I'm like, how good could this movie actually be and going into it and on a, on a, on a face level, it's a it's a fun movie, like it's a fun, um, funny uh, vampire movie with kids. And as a thirty-something-year-old woman, I'm watching this. I'm like, this is a this is an okay time. And then I start digging in after the fact and reading articles that were written at the time and and after. And like, the, it, there's just a plethora of information out there on this movie. And um, just picking this movie apart, it kind of gives you this appreciation of what what people felt when they watched this movie, whether it was, Mm -hmm. you know, young cishet men or young gay men or young gay women. They, you know, there's a voice out there for them. And, um, it, it's, it's kind of like a big, um, fuck you to the Reagan era of America with Mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the nuclear family and the, and the AIDS crisis and the sexuality. And, um, it, 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 it's a much bigger movie than I ever thought it was. And mm-hmm. I think that adds to mm-hmm. the enjoyment of the movie.
4: You know, it's funny. I, 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 haven't, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in a while. Um, I, I think I fall somewhere between, um, Jerry and Mike and you, Veronica on this one. Cause, mm-hmm. um, I, you, I mean, I get the impression Mike, you and Jerry, Love this movie. It's one oh, yeah. of your absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, this is it's the shit. Um, um, Veronica, you're like, oh, I'm glad I saw it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. fall somewhere. I fall. I, fall, I fall somewhere in the middle. You know, I. Um, I. I remember watching it and enjoying it, but it never really became one of my big favorites. I guess, um, but I got to say it's a it's a, it's a great movie and it's, a, it's just a lot of fun to watch and um, there's a lot going on in it um, beyond just the fun which mm-hmm. i which i really appreciate so
2: well i think that is a is good of a point to wrap up our talk on the lost boys on um i think you know we've put a good little bow on it i hope the listeners have kind of enjoyed our discussion of the movie overall next week is going to be interesting because i have not watched either of the sequels yet i just picked up
0: yeah
2: i've just picked up the three disc um blu-ray set which i think is like 12 bucks on Amazon. yeah i did the same and yeah i'm pretty familiar with all three yeah (laughs) Yeah.
4: i've I've seen i've seen the tribe i saw the tribe once but i haven't seen thirst yeah okay
1: yeah, yeah, the third one, the third one, you know, it does a good job bringing it back, but it, it's it will never be the Lost Boys,
2: you know. And I think it's the first time we're heading to direct-to-video territory. Yes, on the yeah. show. I mean, let's face it. So far, we've covered you know, four franchises that all have iconic entries in them between Scream, the Blair Witch Project, Friday the thirteenth, and Halloween. And you know, now we're getting a little bit into like what I envision doing this show, a little bit of like, ooh, sometimes we're gonna well, we're gonna struggle a little bit. Um <laughs> okay. like, so can we get I'm extreme
1: be- sports in the next episode.
2: We get what in the next episode?
1: We get get vampires doing extreme sports
2: in the next episode. ESPN, the Ocho, for the next episode?
3: Yes. I'm so excited.
2: (laughs) Great. So so I'm going to pose this question... Uh, To all of you right now. And I know we're going to have like some other guests on the show and some other contributors um, that we can't quite announce yet, just in case it falls through. Um, But we're going to have like a revolving team of like people joining us here in the pod and the pendulum, like Jerry and myself every week, which is going to be great. Um, Going forward, how do you guys propose we pick what franchises we cover? Because I want to make sure we all have. Some say in what we do, and I'm going to abstain from suggesting the next series we do because I picked this one. Um, what do you guys suggest in terms of how do we pick? Do we turn it over to the listeners? Do we advocate? Do we have a knife fight? Like, do we just kind of <laughs> like
3: <laughs> you know, uh, I... I, maybe asking the the future co-hosts too, like what they what they would suggest. Um, mm-hmm the listeners is a great idea uh i would love to know what people are longing to hear that's 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 a good one
1: i'm open to anything aside from jeepers
4: creepers that is a serious yeah of- that's something we're never over yeah we don't need to hit that one
3: wait guys why
4: really are you serious
3: i'm kidding i'm kidding
4: okay <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay um <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> um, well basically I'm not going to cover cuz fuck Justin Long. Uh no, I <laughs> I, I, like, I like Justin Long. I I, I like Justin Long. Just long I like Justin Long just fine. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we should all like suggest something and then maybe put it to a vote. I think would be, you know, have the listeners kind of put it to a vote. Um, dude. Aliens. What's that? I'm, I'm shooting for alien. I think so that's your suggestion. I think that's going to be one yeah i'm almost of the mind with alien i want to wait till that new documentary hits so i can use that as part of the research but maybe someone will be kind enough to get us a screener of that so so (laughs) but all right so where can everyone on listening to the show where can they find you lovely people if they want to read more of your work or hear more of you where where are we gonna find you folks right now
3: you can find me on Twitter at my Polish face.
4: Mm-hmm. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Brian D. Kuiper.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, same with me at Jerry's. Just okay. <laughs> or if you like reading magazines, I got quite a few things in Scream lately. Look uh, at you, not just promoting super your super.
2: shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> Promote your shit, Jerry! Come on. <laughs> The newest issue of Scream
1: Magazine, I am so proud of. I, I have three pieces in that. I have a career tribute to Sid Haig that I was asked mm-hmm. to write, which is it means so much to me because before he was Captain Spaulding, he was such a big deal to me growing up. I mean, Pit, Pit Stop is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, that uh, I, I have an interview with Oliver Robbins from Poltergeist in the new magazine. There's so much stuff. Oh, I, 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 I've written, I think, 35 articles for Scream. Mm-hmm. I think maybe 10 of them, maybe eight of them have been in print. So over the next year, there's mm-hmm. plenty of stuff coming out. But uh, other than that, I'm on the show. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have a new documentary that I produced and I'm in uh, called "Why" uh, called Oh, the Horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was directed by Tony Newton. That's coming out pretty soon. I think the trailer's dropping. A lot of our previous guests have been on it or, or, or I mean, are in the documentary. Justin Beam, Nat Brimmer. Uh, So many Ariel Fisher, so many people are are in that documentary and it's
2: great. So other than that, uh, I'll be around. We'll definitely be on the lookout for the trailer. I, by the time you hear this, probably shortly thereafter, I may have a piece up on Ghastly Grinning. Uh, I got to write it over the weekend and send it off to Ryan. But uh, I'm working on a piece about why I really appreciate Dr. Loomis in Rob Zombie's Halloween One uh, and how that looks at, like, failure in mental health and uh, working on a few other things. I think one of my goals for the year is to get back into writing, in. a really big time way, uh, not only with the book I'm working on but also um, getting my work out there in other publications and websites and kind of getting back to doing what I used to love doing tremendously. so well listeners, I think that wraps us up for this week. We hope you've enjoyed our talk on the Lost Boys and we'll be back to with you next week on our first direct-to video sequel. Oh boy. <laughs> so, we'll see you then. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, your horror movie podcast covering one movie and one franchise. Well, that didn't come out right. Let's start that over. All right. Sorry about that. (laughs) This is bullshit. Um, All right.